we've been walking through. Um, we just started last Sunday. We're going to go through um, the book, or not the whole book of Psalms. There's 150 of them, but we're going to go through a few Psalms over the next couple of months. And I know you're thankful, like, yes, not 150 of them right away. So we're going to be in Psalm 137, Psalm 137 today. If you don't have it, uh, if you don't have a, a copy of God's Word with you, it will be on the screen. And if you would, I'd like to read this as we get started today. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung up our lyres, for there, are captor, for there our captors required of us songs, and our tormentors mirth, saying, hey, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy, remember, O Lord, against the Edomites. Let me me try that again. Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites, the day of Jerusalem, how they said, lay it bare, lay it bare, down to its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, Blessed shall he be who repays you with what you have done to us. Blessed shall he who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. And when you showed up at church this morning, you were like, I was not expecting that. That's a weird, weird psalm. Most of the psalms are like, they have these big phrases like, God, you're my salvation. God, you're my rock. God, you're my refuge. God, Search me and try me, know my heart. As a deer pants for the water, so my soul pants after you. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my shepherd. You heard that one before? You've seen that on a dinner plate? You've seen that on an Afghan before? You think a lot of times when we see the huge, the, the declarations from the Psalms and the things that we put on plates and the things we memorize, and that this is not one of them. This is a weird psalm. And it starts out with, we sat down on the shores of Babylon and wept. For us to understand this, we have to understand a little bit of history. You with me? You okay with that? I think, we're, I think this is good. This is going somewhere because all the scriptures inspired, even Psalm 137. And I want us to look at, I got a map. Let's see if I have that map back there. Yes, there will be charts and graphs. All right, so this is Israel. You see that, everybody? Oh, look at that, a little better. Okay. If you notice, this is ancient Israel. It was made up, it's a country or a nation made up of, 10, or of 12 tribes, okay? The names of the tribes are here. Reuben, Simeon, Levi. Levi didn't have a land, they were the priests. Judah, Issachar, that's a great name. Zebulun, Joseph, who Joseph's two sons got a piece of property. The Ephraim got one and Manasseh got one. Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher. All of these tribes, it's a people group. It started as a family. These were the sons of Jacob. and or Yeah, out of Jacob, it comes um, Joseph and then all of his brothers. And out of these tribes comes this nation. And each of, think of these different tribes here, like Judah, Reuben, Gad. Think of those like states, okay, that all make up one united body of the, of the kingdom of Israel, which was a place that God was supposed to reign supreme. Now, the kingdom, all of these tribes were united in a kingdom underneath David. You ever heard of David? If you haven't, most of the Psalms are written by David. Not necessarily this one, but most of them are written by David. King David, big player in the Bible. He's in the lineage of Jesus. David's a big player in the Bible. He had a son named Solomon. 
In fact, let me back up. The kingdom was actually brought in by Saul. After Saul was King David, who we know. And then we got Solomon, okay? Solomon was, you may know, Proverbs, um, Ecclesiastes. He was known as one of the wisest people in the world. He was the wisest man in the world at that time. He ended up getting into sin later on in his life. And then something happens. Civil war breaks out, okay? We're familiar with civil war because north and south, you know, that, t- that kind of stuff. Civil war breaks out in Israel. Now, follow me. Are you with me? Everybody with me? I know this is not like, <laughs> now I'm going to leave. I got facts about Gad. Yeah, okay? No, this is going somewhere, all right? You got to know this so you can understand why they were weeping by Babylon. Because if not, then that was the weirdest church service ever. Because when was the last time you talked about Babylon? Unless you're like watching Babylon 5 and you're like a real sci-fi person. Thank you, Bethany DeCorn laughed at that. <laughs> okay? You don't know. Babylon, you haven't used. Next, next map. Yes, this is the only other map I have. It's okay. <laughs> There'll be no more charts. All right. So that, that ten tribes now morphs into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom, because there's a civil war after Solomon, or a civil disagreement, if you will. Northern ten tribes form the northern kingdom, which is blue up there, called Israel. Their capital city is Samaria. Okay? To the south, two tribes form Judah. And funny enough, Judah is one of those tribes, and Benjamin is the other. The northern kingdom, Israel up here, never has a king who does right in the eyes of the Lord. They have nobody who has led their government that has ever has that God was pleased with. And in and so, and because of that, because of their leadership, they have been led to a place where sin abounded, idolatry worship was happening, terrible things were happening in Israel. So God sends judgment. In 722 B.C., Israel, the capital of Samaria, is crushed by the Assyrians. So this, the big Assyrian empire, and if you want to go, you can actually go Google this stuff and find it. In the history of the realm, there was the Assyrian empire. It lasted, it was a blip on the radar, it was a big empire, and then it fell away. But as they were coming, they went and they destroyed Samaria and Israel ceased to exist. So in 722 BC, Israel's gone. So that blue stuff, no more. But Judah's still there. Judah had a few kings that did right in God's eyes. And Judah had sin in their life, but not as bad as Israel. So God delayed his judgment. And in 605 BC, Babylon showed up and like strong-armed them. They were like, give us all your best people. You ever remember the story of Daniel? You know, even if you maybe you haven't been in church your whole life, maybe you've seen a VeggieTales cartoon or something, or maybe you just heard about Daniel in the lion's den or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and all that kind of stuff. That happens in 605 B.C. when the first group of the best and the brightest of Israel are taken out by Babylon. And Babylon takes them and wants to use them to, to make Babylon better. And so that's Daniel and those guys. Likely, the psalmist who wrote Psalm 137 was taken in this first move out of Babylon. But then, in 586 B.C., the capital city of Judah, Jerusalem, is destroyed. And now God's people are no longer have a nation in the promised land. And it won't come back until several hundred years later when Nehemiah brings them back. So, that makes sense? You follow me? I know there's a lot, a, lot, a lot of names and a lot of difficulties, but you know who came and destroyed Judah? Babylon. And so this song, Psalm 137, is about how God 
has allowed the Babylonians to destroy Jerusalem and how the people feel. And it's, it's sad. Because look with me in Psalm 137. You guys can bring up the light some. I think I'm done with the maps. Everybody's, everybody's glad I'm done with the maps. <laughs> Psalm 137 says, remember, by the waters of Babylon, those ones who came in and conquered, there I sat down and I wept when I remembered Zion. That's the start of a sad song. If it had been a country song, I was down by the crank bank when my mama, you know what I mean? They'd be like, when I got hit by a train. Okay, that would be, this is like first country western song, all right? I had to bring that up. I was in Nashville this week, so I felt like I needed to bring that up. So this starts off as a sad song, By the Waters of Babylon. There we sat down and wept. Now, fun, funny enough, the waters of Babylon, it could be the rivers that come together and connect in Babylon, or it could be they, the Babylonian Empire was vast and mighty and wealthy, and they had made aqueducts, and they had done a lot of civil engineering feats. So we don't know if this was a natural body of water or one that they had made. If this one they had made, the power of Babylon and their destruction on Israel would be very evident. So it says, by the waters of Babylon, we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. Now, Zion is a reference. When you see that in the Bible, that's talking about Jerusalem. Jerusalem's important because in the Old Testament, we had all these pictures and symbols. God would show his presence through the tabernacle and the temple, and God's people had to go to a a specific place to worship him. And the the specific place where the temple was, was there and they could worship God directly was in Jerusalem, also known as Zion. So worship was localized. It was centralized in this one place. And so for them to lose Jerusalem was to lose their place of praise, their place of worship, their place of connection with God. Now, obviously not completely because this man's writing this poem, a song to God, but the the idea of public worship was just, it has been destroyed, and this symbol that represented God's presence with his people is gone. And so he just weeps, and he's like, he feels abandoned. And grief, and just think about it this way. It's like this. If we were in this nation, and it's not a one-for-one comparison because Israel and the United States, you don't need to make that jump all the time, okay? That's not, that's not what the Bible does. Usually it's the Israel to the people of God. That's the jump you need to make, not the United States. But just for sake of an illustration, you imagine how terrible it would be if someone overthrew the United States and came in here and burned our town and we all had to move somewhere else, be terrible. You lose all your stuff. You have no government that represents you. You are now basically a slave. That is what's happened to these people. And now, not even that, they can't even worship because their, 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 cult, their religious life and their civic life were intertwined in Israel. And so they're weeping. By the shores of Babylon, this great power. Verse 2 says, on the willow trees, they hung up our lyres which that's an instrument like a guitar. So they just took it. They said, I don't be needing this anymore. I, can't, I don't have a place to sing and worship. And they hung them up on the trees next to the water. And then verse 3 says, For there our captors required of us songs, and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. They're mocking them. Hey, sing us one of your songs about how great Zion is. Sing us a song about your God. This is humiliation. Verse 4, 
How shall we sing to the Lord a song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. And he says this, it's sad, they're mocking him. He says, listen, if I forget about the place of worship and how to worship God, I pray that my hand would atrophy and I would forget the skill that I have to play. Play would go, I just pray it would go away. And if I forget about worshiping God in Jerusalem and how great that was, I pray that the tongue, the, the, my tongue would stick to the roof of my mouth and I could not sing anymore. Any of you have ever had allergy problems, you know what it is to have dry mouth. Now, if you are a public speaker like I have to do and love to do, okay, if dry mouth is one of your greatest enemies. Try to get a word out with the dry mouth. It's very difficult. He's praying for dry mouth, <laughs> if you will, because in worship is so important. Now, first off, that's a downer. All this is a downer, right? Secondly, it's a weird song to be singing because these psalms were made for worship in a church. Like this was like the songbook of the time. Can you imagine if we busted out with this song? Like we sang it just like straight up with no context one Sunday? People would be super confused. Why are we singing about rivers of Babylon and our tongues sticking to our mouth? Why is that here? I believe something. I believe every portion of scripture comes through human people, but it was inspired by God in such a way that God gave us his exact word that he wants us to have, and that every word that's here is profitable for us and has something to teach us. And I know this is sad, but I think some things we could take away of this is this is not necessarily one of those joyful, like we looked at last week, shout to the, shout to the Lord, all the earth, make a joyful noise. Worship to God, he's good, he's faithful. It's not one of those. But it's necessary and good because here's the thing. God tells us and shows us in every situation, a proper response is worship. Let me say that again. In every situation, a proper response is worship. Now, many of us were like, because we have a small view of worship. A lot of times we think worship is just the effervescent joy of knowing God. It's that upbeat, how you doing, brother? You maybe been to a place where, you know, everybody's good on Sunday morning, even if your life's falling apart. You ever been in that place? You put your game face on, you're like, okay, here comes church. How you doing? And inside you're like, my life's falling apart. I'm having trouble with my marriage, my kids. I need to punt them. I don't know what's happening. But you're like, I'm doing great, brother. Like you're dying, you're wasting away, but you feel like you got to get it together. We think that's worship. Worship is just positive thinking. Worship can be what Job did. You remember the story of Job? When he loses everything, Job chapter 1. He can't see why it happened. But at the end of it, 
At the end of the first, at his first group of losses, which is lost of his kids, in Job 1, 20 and 22, it says this, Job rose and he tore his robe and he shaved his head, which sounds weird, but that is an expression of grief in that culture. And he shaved his head and he fell on the ground and he worshiped. He had just lost his whole family. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Job was right in his response, and his response was to worship. And that's what we see here. When these, when these folks are just depleted, they sing a song to God, even though the song is difficult to hear and sad and in a minor key. There is room for worship that's not just joy, but that takes our sorrows to God and gives them to Him. We see it all throughout the Psalms. We see people in, in struggling in different ways, with enemies, with life situations, with sin, and they come to God, they don't hide it. They lay it bare before Him and they send it up to Him and they say, God, here's my brokenness, I trust you. So worship is a good response. Also, worship is a prayer. In, my, in some of my deepest, darkest moments, some worship songs have been close to my heart and been some things I just continually sing to God. There is a song that I sing a lot, especially when I'm feeling blue. The, the first lyric of the song is, Whatever my God ordains is right. And sometimes that's the hardest thing you can ever say. But if you believe in the God who's expressed fully in the Scripture, that we get this full picture of him, that, that the God that is in control and has sorrow come to his people, but he's always working for their good and for his glory, then you can go and you can see this full picture and you, can, you know he's big enough at that point to take all of your sorrows and bring them there and to worship there and saying, God, I don't get it, I don't understand it, but I will worship you nevertheless. And that's our God. And he knows his people because not only is the proper response seen here, that the proper response in any and all situation is worship. It's appropriate to worship in any situation. But we also see that God understands what we're going through. Now, let me be clear. I've been around suffering people, and I've been suffering myself at times. Not now. I'm in a, I'm in a fairly good spot. But, you know, it could come at any moment. We all know that. But I do know this. One of the worst things you could ever say to someone is, I know how you feel. The person, the, the mourner, the struggler who hears, I know how you feel, wants to stab you. They may not say stab. <laughs> they may say bludgeon. They may want you to <laughs> get in a car accident. I don't know. But they want something bad to happen to you. And here's the facts. Even if you've been through a similar situation, you don't know. I had to learn this the hard way dealing with folks and also having people said to me I was like you don't know how I <laughs> you don't know me <laughs> you know you ever said that you don't know me okay you other people because of your background because of like work life's complicated you know that right family issue. We don't know everything that's going on in somebody's life that has led them to this particular situation of difficulty. We don't know. So it's not good to say, I know how you feel. 
You can't say, man, I've been in a similar situation, maybe. That's appropriate. But know how you feel does not usually help. But here's a good word that does help. God does know how you feel. He made you. He's acquainted with every one of your ways. He made the human heart, and he knows it. And what has he done? When we see a psalm like this that that has such despair and even angst at the end of this psalm, when when it starts off with weeping by the shores of Babylon, when it talks about, I don't want to sing anymore, when it talks about, God, if I can't worship you, I just don't, don't want to be able to talk, I don't want my hand to be able to play anymore, I don't want any of that. When it comes to that deep darkness and that difficult situation, God has included that in his scripture for a reason, and that reason is to show you that God knows what you're going through. Your spouse might not. Nobody on this earth may know. Your pastor doesn't know. But God does. He knows all the in and outs of your situation. He is sovereign. He's in control. And he knows. And he, because he knows and he understands, he's given us language in his word, a spectrum of emotions that we can express to him. And so we have a language for every season of our soul to speak to God in the scriptures. Do you know how good that is? Because the Bible says, remember we go back to Job? When he, when he said all that stuff, when he worshiped God, the Bible says, gave an estimation of Job's response and what, what God thought of it. And he said, in all, that God, in all that Job never sinned. All that Job never sinned. And he never counted God with evil. So there is a right way and a wrong way to respond. There is a, and, and the right and the wrong, because you're going to hear people tell you this, like, there's never a wrong way to respond. You can't be consistent with that statement. Okay? Because people say all the time, there's never a wrong way to respond to grief or bad situation. Well, if someone hits me, like rear ends me, and I get out of the car and shoot them, which I can get that angry, That's an improper way to respond, according to the law, at least. Okay? So we can't go and say that blanket blanket statement, but sometimes it just comes out. But here's the good news. We're struggling with this. We are very complicated. We have contradictions going on us. We have struggles. We have loves and affections that are misplaced. We have all these things going on. We can come to God's Word and have ways to express all of the spectrum of human emotions to God in a way that honors Him and lifts Him up, in a way that, in a way that does not hinder our fellowship with Him, including the dark, 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 dark days. This is a dark psalm. The nation has been destroyed by the Babylon. People are misplaced. People are separate. Families are separated. There has been killings. And in fact, we're going to find out later and look in the letters. There have been killing of infants. There's been terrible things the Babylonians did to assert and to take over and to ransack Jerusalem. Awful things have happened. It's dark. But God includes this psalm. There's only 150 psalms. I know we talked about 150 is a lot, but if you think about it, for, it's only 150, and the Bible's a pretty big book. And this is going to be for all of eternity. 
for God, the songs that God has for us to, to think about and to minister our souls. There's only 150 of them. And in one of those 150 psalms, he includes this one that's about their weeping and their destruction in Babylon. He does that on purpose because he cares for you. And he gives a framework for you to deal with and to talk to him and to call out to him in your difficult, difficult times. Which is good. Because difficult times come. Sometimes they're so difficult that we just can't see the light of day, it seems like. But God's there. Now, we need to deal with something. Go down to verse 7. Remember, he's talking about, if I can't worship you, God, if I can't go, if I can't do that, let let my hand forget its skill and my mouth be stopped. Verse 7, though. He says, remember, O Lord, it's a change, there's a shift here. Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites, the day of Jerusalem, how they said, lay it bare, lay it bare, down to its foundation. So here's what happens. The Edomites are a different group than the Babylonians, okay? Edomites are down south. The Edomites always had a problem with Judah and Israel. They always were kind of like, you ever had that person in school or in your work or whatever who you always just have a problem with? No matter if you're nice to them, you, like they're kind of a jerk, or you know, have you ever had that person? Maybe you have. Maybe you're a better person than I am. You might be, okay? And 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 you don't have. You don't have. I had never had problems with anybody, but you know that one person that just rubs you wrong. You rub each other wrong. The Edomites are kind of like that for Israel. So Babylon shows up on the situation, and they hire out Edomites to do their dirty work. And so Babylonians and the Edomites are in tandem to destroy Jerusalem. And they lay it bare. And in, in the Middle East at this time, in ancient times, when they would lay a city bare, they would lay a city bare. They would torch it, destroy the buildings, destroy the temple, destroy it all. And it was kind of like that. It was a way of saying, don't mess with us. We're going to destroy your entire way of life, and now you belong to us. And the psalmist says, hey, God, remember what they did. Because listen, God would use the Edomites and the Babylonians to judge Israel for their sin. In fact, the whole captivity has come to Israel because of their sin. Go look at Lamentations, Jeremiah. All of it is because Israel or Judah failed to worship God as they should. And that's why they got this discipline. But the fact that the Edomites did it, that God allowed them to be judged and used them for judgment, doesn't excuse the Edomites' sin in going against Israel. So what happens here is God, as, as the psalmist says, hey, remember them and what they did, how they laid bare Jerusalem. And then verse 8, he says, O daughter of Babylon, which is, this is heightened language, this is poetic language, okay? O daughter of Babylon, which means the inhabitants of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, blessed shall he who repays you with what you have done to us. He's like, the psalmist says, hey, Edomites, God remember to take care of the Edomites and to give them judgment for the bad things they've done. And he says, hey, God, remember the people of Babylon. Remember to give them judgment for what they have done. Because even though they, they acted according to their own will, but it worked in the will of God as well. Even though God allowed them to do this, sent them to do this, they were acting in a way that they're culpable for their actions. So God punished them for their sin. And then... Verse 9 gets really, really, really dark. Blessed shall he be 
who takes your little ones, infants, children, and dashes them against the rocks. That's harsh. I'm going to agree that's a little, that's, that's just some dark stuff. But I want you to notice something, okay? I want you to understand why this is here. And I'll give you a couple of reasons to understand why the psalmist goes in this direction. First is this. Understand, understand this as a cry for justice, not a cry for, it's not a bloodlust cry, okay? This is a cry for justice, not bloodlust or vengeance. Because here's what happens. All of the things that are mentioned here are things that, that, that the psalmist wants to have happen to eat the Edomites and Babylon are the things that happened to Jerusalem and happened to the people in Judah. So this is a call. This is kind of like the eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth thing. This is what this call is, and that's in Deuteronomy 32, okay? The lex talionis, is, and that's there for a purpose, okay? The eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. When someone hurts you, your nat- our natural response is to, have you ever seen kids fight? You ever seen that? It starts off with a push, okay? Like brothers, all right? And you know what happens after that? Does it just start with one push? No. One started with a one-hand push, and then what happens? Then it's a two-hand push, and then before long, it's like, it's scrapping, okay? We were in the Opry Mills Mall the other day. We saw these two guys trying to fight each other. It was so dumb. I mean, they were like, got their fists out. I mean, before long, it probably started off with something dumb, and it escalated to something big. The lex talionis, or the, the eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, is meant for us not to escalate, and to say, give you more punishment than what's due. Because that's a natural tendency. You punch me, I'll run you over, son. Okay? That is, that's the difference. And so the psalmist here, note this, all these things, the, the killing of the infants and the destruction of the city are things that happen to Jerusalem. So when the psalmist asks for these things, he is asking God to do to them what has been done to them. He's asking for justice, one for one. Now, That's not it. Secondly, we need to know this else. Nowhere do we see the psalmist taking action on these words. This is not a call to violence. This is not a call to go after and do that. It's calling for God to make things right, to do do justice. He's calling out for God to give the rightful punishment. I don't know if you guys like Denzel Washington, the actor. I like Denzel, okay? I wish I was as smooth as Denzel. I'm not, okay? Denzel and all of his movies. I hope Denzel's that smooth. It's gonna really, if I ever meet him one day and he's not as smooth as he is in the movies, I'm going to be really disappointed. Like He's like, <laughs> I'm Denzel. I'll be like, no, no. That's the worst. I would be so disappointed. He has come out where there's a whole genre of movies in which Denzel is the Avenger for the week. Okay? Equalizer, Man on Fire, those movies. And they're hugely popular. And there's a reason they're popular. It's because all of us have a desire for justice. And in all those movies, the bad guys are the bad guys. And the bad guys get what they deserve. And you're like, yeah! But that's the reason we liked him. However, to be a vigilante and to take justice in your own hand, that's always the, the moral question in all of those movies, Right? And I think it speaks to something. All of us desire, have a desire for justice. But at the same time, we have to remember 
that God is the one who will avenge and to not take violence into our own, our, our own hand. Jesus would come and he would show us those things because he would talk about eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, and he talks about turning the other cheek and loving your enemy, not hating them, and praying for those who persecute you. And so here's what we see here. We see the psalmist asking God to do what's right, and that's, the good, that's a good cry for the Christian heart. God, Make things right. Do justice. Work justice. Help us be people of justice. In fact, we see in Romans 12, 27, Romans 12, 17 through 21, Paul tells us, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written. This is in Deuteronomy 32. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, he will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome evil, uh, overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And so the call here, when we see this in, we see this in, in the Bible, when you see these things, imprecatory psalms is what they're called, which means cursing psalms, where the psalmist curses someone and says some tough things about them. Note this, that comes from a desire for justice, not a desire for bloodlust. Secondly, when you see it, we should all desire justice, but the psalmist has not yet fully seen what we have seen, which is the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. See, the Bible has something called progressive revelation, which means this, the 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 unfolding of the plan of God in Jesus is, is the Old Testament saints only see it in part. We see it fully because we have seen Jesus. So he was not wrong in saying, crying out for vengeance. But we have to, as believers in Jesus, as we look at a psalm like this, we have to remember mercy. Do you know why? Because we've received so much mercy. Jesus tells a story about a guy who was, who was forgiven a huge debt like a massive debt, like school loans times 20 debt, like a big debt, like millions of dollars debt. And the person he owes it to forgives him the debt. It's his master, forgives it, no, no more. Then the guy turns around who's been forgiven the debt, and somebody owes him a buck 50. He's like, where's my money? And he starts strangling him and beating him. And the master calls in the, the, two, the two guys, and he says, what's going on? He says, the guy who's been forgiven much. How? You who've been forgiven so much would go to war with somebody who owes you this? And the point of this is whoever's been forgiven much must forgive much. And we know our forgiveness and our sins. The psalmist can't see what we can see now, the unfolding of the picture. And that, yes, we need to pray for God to do justice in the world and work towards justice in the world as believers. But also, as we pray, we need to also pray that the Lord might forgive them. Think about the book of Jonah. You remember the Jonah? It gets caught up with the fish thing and the spitting out and all that kind of stuff. But he's going to Nineveh. You know what happened to Nineveh? Nineveh was, had just, had been always been, a, the people of Nineveh had always been a people, an uh, enemy of the people of Israel. In fact, they, they were known for being very brutal and they would fillet people, which they would cut the skin off of people, which that's pretty terrible. And so Jonah would have to go and preach judgment on them, and he was like, yeah, boy, Jesus coming. Or not Jesus at that point, he doesn't know about he's, Yahweh's coming. He's going to put the, put the smack down on y'all. And you know what they do? They repent, and Jonah is fiery mad because God forgives them. He's like, say what? 
I had the whole thing. I finally came here. I got bleached out by the stomach acids of a big fish. Now I'm here. And you're not going to punish these jokers? They're mad. He's mad. Because he fails to see the mercy, the mercy that we can see. So it's perfectly appropriate to cry out when we see the psalm, to cry out for justice, even if we do it strongly. But at the same time, we should remember Christ's mercy and also pray for those who persecute us. So if you have someone who's done you wrong in your life, sinned against you, I think it's okay to pray that God would do what's right and to, to be just on that person as long as you also pray for that person to be saved and to turn from their sins. I know it's talking out of both sides of our mouth, but doesn't the Lord show great mercy to his enemies? And doesn't the Lord, won't the Lord punish sin? Yes, of course he will. That's why we have a view of this whole thing through the cross, where sin is still serious because Jesus died for it. And forgiveness is still great because Jesus purchased it by dying for it. <laughs> so it's okay to cry out for mercy, for justice. It's okay to cry out, God, avenge this wrong. God, help me in this situation. God, help this struggle. Make it right. It's fine to call out strongly. But we always, do, always must do it from mercy. And then we must remember this, that there is hope. This is a real downer of a psalm sweeping by Babylon's river. If I forget this, praise God, I want my hand to atrophy. Forget it, skill. I want the dry mouth to set in and the, the, my tongue to be glued to the roof of my mouth. I want it to be silent. God, destroy those, work justice on those who have come against us. Big time stuff. But I want you to know this. Do you know the scriptures are very clear? I don't have time to get into this, but go to Jeremiah chapter 6 sometime. Excuse me. Check it out. The reason judgment came on Judah was because of their sin, and they had forgotten God. And God was judging them so they might come back to him. So here is this. this. Even, in, even though the curse, this judgment that came upon, that's discussed here in Psalm 137, even though it's, they're in their darkest situation, and even though they caused it and brought it on themselves, there is still hope for repentance and restoration. In fact, every time you hear about God's judgment, until there is no more time left for you or this earth, there is a call every time you hear about the wrath of God to turn from your sins, to repent and to be restored to God. The book of Lamentations is about what we're talking about in Psalm 137, the destruction of Judah. And the guy who wrote the book of Lamentations is Jeremiah, who is the prophet who actually called for that's God's mouthpiece, called for Judah to be destroyed. Now, you've probably heard this quote before. You may have seen this on a plate or a pillow. It says this, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercy never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my, my portion. My soul, therefore, I will hope in him. You've heard that before. His mercies are new every morning. God, hope in God. Do you ever looked at the reference where that comes from? Lamentations. You know what? To, you know what lamentations means? To cry out bitterly, to dis, to say terrible things. So this great hopeful verse that people put out everywhere is is in this terrible, terrible lamenting book, which is just tear stained and full of sadness. 
Why is it there? Because here is what God does. He gives hope in the darkest of situations. The death of Christ. The resurrection of Jesus. Dead in sin. Alive in Christ. Physically dying in him. Eternal life and resurrection. God brings hope in the darkest of situations. And so this psalm, which is so dark and such a downer, still points to hope as long as you have breath in your lungs. And there is still time. There is hope for you. You are not too far gone. You are not too far from Christ. Come to him. No matter how dark your situation, if you are his, he is working together for your good. I know that may hurt to hear because of the darkness. But God is with us there. Remember Psalm 23? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil if you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. His mercies are new every morning. There's hope. There's hope. There's hope in the family situation. There's hope with the troubled kid. There's hope even in the face of death. There is hope in the troubled marriage. There is hope and victory over sin and addiction. There is hope for the physically the physically hurting. There is hope for the diseased. And it may not be in physical healing now, but it is in spiritual renewal for sure. And there is a day coming. And the psalmist could not see this fully yet because of progressive revelation that God will judge sin appropriately once and finally, and he will give joy and hope eternally to his people who will be with him forever. It's like that Crowder song. Earth has no sorrow, heaven can't heal. Would you pray with me? And as we do that, I'm going to invite our musicians to come up. If you would just take a moment. This is a heart cry from a deep place. Would you just pour out your heart before the Lord silently in prayer? We just need hope just to rise up, faith to rise up. Some of us, we just need to say in our difficult situation, God, you're God. Some just may need somebody to just grab them and pray for them. In a moment, we're going to respond by singing. This psalm is a pouring out of our heart to God, laying it bare, telling him our griefs and our sorrows and our, our angst and our desire for justice and our weeping. Pour out our hearts to him. And so let this be a few minutes while we respond by pouring out our heart to him.
Pour it out in prayer. Pour it out in singing. Come to Him in faith. Turn from your sin. Come out of despair. Or just, if you can't come out of it, just give Him your despair. Let's stand and let's sing. God, we worship you. You are God in the good times and the bad. You give and you take away. But as Job said, blessed be the name of the Lord. Help us understand your word, God, and help us understand how you minister to our spirit through it. If there's anyone here that doesn't know you, I pray they would come to know Christ. If there's anyone who needs the ministry of an elder, God, I pray they would reach out. We're thankful for our time together. We're thankful for this time of worship. In Jesus' name, amen.